0: Good boys and girls, Two-Footed Podcast on Thursday the 18th of November, brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or HBO or whatever it is you're geoblocked from, wherever you're an expat from or whatever you want to access, Liberty Shield will allow you to access whatever you want. And keep your data safe. It's the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. And you can get 50% off by using the code EPLPOD. That's E-P-L-P-O-D at checkout. Instant download to your device. Works on your phone, your laptop, your desktop, your Fire Stick, your tablet. Instant download. Get it working. Get running. EPLPOD. For 50% off. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. A giftware and homework company. Located in Scotland. But shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. Which you can find on Etsy. Right folks, I am going to begin by standing on a soapbox and criticising media outlets. I mentioned the other day the Benjamin Mendy story. You can read up on it more. I I don't really want to talk any more about him or about it. I do, however, want to talk about some of the media coverage of this story. So we all know we live in a world now where it's all about being first, getting the story first, publishing first. You even get idiots Who go on YouTube videos and comment first. Or they'll comment first on a tweet. Like it's mind blowing how silly some people can be. But media outlets. There is a level of shamelessness. When it comes to their rush. To print first. To get clickbait. Whatever it may be, we we know they make up an awful lot of nonsense. We see it with stories about players and not just in the world of football. All across the spectrum, entertainment, whatever it is they think will draw eyeballs. They rush to get it out there. From who is actor X dating or who was actress X seen holding hands with at such and such a restaurant all the way through the political spectrum, into sport. And, you know, Manchester United want to sign 80 million centre-back is a great headline that will draw people in because fans get excited at the thoughts of their team signing players for big money. Yada, yada, all garbage. However, we do have a responsibility as a society to hold these people to at least a certain level of accuracy now we can't all go around all day every day calling them out on everything they get wrong or what they make up because we'd have no time for anything else you know if you were to look at say el nacional that weird outlet that's popped up in in catalan in, in recent months with regards to rumors about english footballers and footballers in england and all that kind of stuff if we were to spend all our day going through what they publish, and indeed all Spanish publications and most Italian publications and most English publications, if we were to go through them and point out all the things they made up or got wrong, we would have nothing, no no time left to do anything else. I remember somebody did a deep dive on a certain Daily Mirror journalist a few years ago, And they went over every piece of transfer information he had written in like a three-year span. And 4% of it had turned out to be true. 4%. It took them days, days to do that for one journalist. There's eight or nine others just like that journalist just at the mirror. Then you've got all the other newspapers, all the other outlets. I mean, imagine how long it would take you to go over 90minute.com and point out all the things they've made up. Or Football Insider. And all the things they've made up. You'd be there forever. But we do have to hold them to a certain level. There are certain things that they have to be called out on. And one of them is the shamelessness with which they rushed to publish stories about Benjamin Mendy. And the fact that not only did they not fact check things, they don't know how to use a simple Google search. So in the first line of almost every one of these articles were the words Manchester City player, Benjamin Mendy. Okay, so Manchester City, Benjamin Mendy. If you Google search Manchester City, Benjamin Mendy, Manchester City, Mendy, or indeed just Benjamin Mendy. You will get a picture of Benjamin Mendy in his Manchester City kit. What you will not get is a picture of Eduard Mendy in his Chelsea kit or Ferland Mendy in his Real Madrid kit. What you will get, uh, how you will get them is if you just search Mendy or Mendy Premier League or Mendy France. But multiple outlets published pictures of Edward Mendy in his Chelsea kit over this story. One published a picture of Ferland Mendy in a Real Madrid kit. Over this story. Now. Edward Mendy has come out and said. It is sad to see that in 2021. In France as well as in England. For some. Black people have neither names. Nor distinct faces. Now there's always been that. Racial. Racial. Slogan of all black people look the same and all that kind of nonsense, which is just tripe. It's tripe. It's garbage. Of course it is. It's just something racists say to make themselves feel clever. But this is a. If this was a story about Benjamin Mendy scoring a goal or something, you know, you'd kind of just shrug it and go, "Oh, you know, stupid." But this is a rather serious thing. Where a man has been accused of six different counts of rape, one of sexual assault, and another man's picture has been put over that story. And despite having absolutely no connection, nothing to do with either Benjamin Mendy or this story, both Edward Mendy and Ferland Mendy have now been dragged into the gutter for this. And their image has been associated with these charges. And again, not to presume, presume guilt on Benjamin Mendy, but he is the one who's accused of this. Not Edouard, not Furland, not any other Mendy, just him. And yet, I will guarantee both Edouard Mendy and Ferland Mendy have received panicked phone calls from somebody in their world saying, why is your picture on this story? Or whatever the French equivalent would be. It probably wasn't said in an Alvin accent in English, but you know what I mean. Surely some editor, copy editor, whatever... There are f- three different articles here with pictures of Eduard Mendy and one with Ferland Mendy. The one with Ferland Mendy even has Ferland Mendy's name in the picture. It even has his name there. Edward Mendy went on to say these mistakes. Of photos appear anecdotal. But actually they are quite the opposite. They are highly symbolic. It's not that complicated. To differentiate. Two different faces. Especially when the football jersey. Is of valuable help. Exactly. Exactly. One of them is wearing a Real Madrid kit. The other is wearing. Goalkeeper gloves. Surely one of these is a clue. It really bothers me how poor the standard of media is these days. It really does, because you've got to, there's got to be some standard. These these are, there's kids going to university these days, coming out with journalism degrees, eyes wide open, imagining themselves to be, you know, some sort of, If they're going into the football sphere, they might think, you know, I'm going to be the next Brian Glanville or Daniel Taylor or Henry Winter or whoever it is you might want to be. You know, whatever sphere they want to go into They're they've got their heroes, their idols, and they're looking at them and thinking, that's who I want to be. I want to be the next him or her. I want to follow in their footsteps. And instead, they're tied to a news desk. Rushing out stories. And. There's no time to fact check. And if there is it's not being done properly. Clearly there's no copy editing. Or proofreading being done. But the other thing about this. That has really. wound me up. Benjamin Mendy. Has a. A co-accused in this case. Luis Saha. Uh, Luis Zaha, oh, Saha Saha, Luis Saha. Maturi is the gentleman's name. Luis Saha Maturi. Not Luis Saha, the former football player who played for Manchester United, Fulham and Everton. Not him, some other man. And yet, again, multiple outlets printed his name as Luis Saha and left out the Maturi left out an important part of his name that distinguished him from somebody else. And Louis Saha has had to deal with some of this nonsense now as well, despite also having no involvement in the case. It's also worth pointing out that Louis Saha Maturi is 40. Louis Saha is 43. Louis Saha Maturi is from Eccles. Louis Saha is not. They're just. They're minor details that make all the difference. And stop somebody. From being dragged through the mud. For something they have. Absolutely nothing to do with. Absolutely nothing to do with Benjamin Mendy. Ferlin Mendy or Louis Saha. But here we are. They've been involved in this story by lazy, lazy media people who just didn't want to do their jobs. Didn't want to do them properly. And because of that, innocent people have been dragged in. Eccles is in Greater Manchester. Now, Louis Saha did once live in Manchester for a few years. But he lives in the south of France now and has done for about seven or eight years. He's not from Eccles. He's not of Eccles. He's not lived there. He lives in the south of France. Ferland Mendy, yes, he is a black man from France who plays left back. But he plays for Real Madrid. And most importantly, his name is Ferland, not Benjamin. Edouard Mendy is a goalkeeper for, for Chelsea. And most importantly, his name is Edouard, not Benjamin. He's also not a French international. He's a Senegalese international. So there's another difference between them, aside from all the other differences that you could very qu- quickly point out. We really do need to do better. At holding these people accountable. For this type of stuff. And I have to say. If I was Ferland Mendy. Benjamin Mendy or Louis Saha. Today. I would be seeking legal representation. To bring lawsuits against those outlets. Because they have been. Slandered. By being associated with such a case. And there will always be the one moron who's adamant that they were involved because he saw their picture in an article. That's that, anyway. Um, There are some good articles on the BBC website, which I would invite you to go and read today if you have the time. There is uh, one by... by... um, Gary Rose on Patrick Vieira, Arsenal icon to Crystal Palace's thoughtful manager, uh, which is is a very, very good read. And I I do think you will enjoy that. There is From Dole to Goal, how a one-time unemployed outcast became a goalkeeping star at Chelsea. So this is about Edward Mendy. It's written by Steve Sutcliffe uh, and well worth your read. There is also a piece from one of my all-time favourite spoofers, uh, Guillaume Balaga, who has decided that he is the man with the inside track at Newcastle. Um, Balaga is a self-promoting spoofer who, for years, has been stealing a living by pretending to be multiple things, including a Spanish football expert. But he is in no way a Spanish football expert in no way. He is not remotely held in high, high esteem in his own country. He came to the UK to sell himself as something that he is not. Uh, there's a reason he was writing for Metro for many years. Um, last night on, on social media I saw him interact with Rory Smith of the New York Times and um Smith was talking about Salah and the rumours of, of Barcelona uh, wanting Salah and how it had originated in in Spain and how, you know, there was a narrative being pushed. And Balaga replied, well, who is driving the, that narrative? And Rory said, well, you know, it's, it's a bunch of Spanish outlets. And Balaga replied, well, I, nobody in Spain is talking about it. Right well first of all you're in London so shush and secondly the amount of bad journalism in Spain or is just incredible uh, El Nacional ficheras todo ficheras uh sports mundo deportivo uh is it diario AZ, AS Marca, Marca they're, they're all trash all of them and all of them continually publish absolute nonsense regardless of who it's about or what it's about 80 percent of what comes out of those outlets is is easily disprovable tripe baliger then decides to say that his his and he put it in, in brackets educated guess is that it's the betting companies the betting companies are the ones who are driving this narrative. So somebody replied. But well, I don't think the betting companies are the ones that publish the story. To which Balaga said. I think you'd be surprised. This is a great man. A, ma- a shameless man. Who has been found out more and more times. The best ever thing. I've ever seen on Twitter. Was a. A fictional tale. But a believable tale. Of Guillaume Balaga. Walking into a shop. And asking for Praline M&M's to a baffled shop assistant. Who replied, there is no such thing as Praline M&M's. says, yes, there is. Yes, there is. I'm sure if you check your stock room, you'll see that they're there. Wanting to be helpful, the shop assistant looks at this weird little man and goes into the stock room. Obviously, there are no Praline M&M's. They come back out. Begin to explain to Mr. Balaga, there are no Praline M&M's. I'm sorry. <laughs> to which Balaga replies, things have changed. You wouldn't be aware of the situation, but I am. I've just received a phone call from the CEO of Mars, and they've decided to bring out a line of peanut M&M's instead. The shop assistant says, well, peanut M&M's has been around for years. To which Balaga taps them on the head, says, don't you worry, you'll never fully understand, only Uncle Guillaume knows, and leaves with his peanut M&Ms. And that that is basically Guillaume Balaga. He makes ridiculous claims, gets shown to be wrong, changes his view, and claims he's just been updated by a source. That is what that man does. And then still tries to let on that he's the most connected person in the room. A shameful, shameless, self-promoting spoofer is what, what Ian Ballard is. So I would take everything in his story about Newcastle with not a pinch of salt, not even a container of salt I would go so far as to get a bag of salt six kg or more that's how much salt you'd need to put on Guillaume Balaga's tripe um third piece I do want to recommend is a piece on Norwich City and their appointment of Dean Smith. It's more of a timeline of events. Um, it's actually quite interesting. And it's just got some good quotes from Dean Smith, from his press conference and things like that. So that's well worth your while giving a read if you have an interest in Norwich. I'm going to take a quick break, folks. And when we come back, it is questions day. Uh, and we'll run through them as quick as we can and get out of here nice and early today. So I'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So I should point out that story about Guillaume Baliga and the Praline M&M's was uh, the creation of a man known as Brenzy. I want to say his name was Paul Brennan, but I could be wrong. Uh, but he used to be at Brenzy on Twitter. He's no longer on Twitter under that account. I think he has a different account that he uses, but um, he was one of the funniest people you'll ever have met in your life five, six years ago. It could be more. Uh, but that was a particularly brilliant moment. Anyway, it is questions day, so we're going to jump in. We're going to start with some questions from Adam Hanlon that I didn't get to last week. So, uh, do I th- Do you think Eddie Howe will at least make Newcastle dangerous in attack, especially with Wilson and possibly Jolinton? Uh, discuss the pros and cons of his appointment. Okay, so the cons of his appointment, he's, he, he was a bad defensive manager. The bad defensive coach. Didn't really know how to set his team up defensively. They conceded an average of 66 goals across his five seasons in the Premier League. Never below 60 and once as high as 70. So that's a con. Another con, poor recruitment. Really, really poor recruitment. I've been over the the players he signed during his tenure as a Premier League manager. And it is ugly. His recruitment in the championship when he signed the likes of Callum Wilson and Ryan Frazier. That was good. His recruitment in the Premier League was atrocious. Utterly atrocious. So much money wasted. And even people want to point at Dan Juma and players that did nothing. Did nothing for Eddie Howe. Neither did Dominic Solanke. And Eddie Howe wasn't buying them for the next guy. He was buying them for himself. So those are failures. They failed under him. They're failures on his record. The club can mark him up as a success. Eddie Howe cannot. Anyway, they are the two big cons. The other one would be, we haven't seen him survive a relegation battle in the Premier League. The pros are, he's a very progressive manager. He plays a good brand of football. He does have an ability to improve attacking players. Proven ability to improve an attacking players. And Newcastle do have some interesting and exciting attacking players. You mentioned Wilson. I think there's a real player in Joel Linton. We've just never seen it at Newcastle because he's never been used in the correct manner. At Hoffenheim, yes, he played as the nine, but it was like a Bobby Firmino type nine where the two goal scorers were the wide forwards and he was more of a facilitator in the central role. And in that role, he really thrived at Hoffenheim. That's why Newcastle bought him, based on what he'd done at Hoffenheim. Unfortunately, it appears like the manager never read the scouting reports and thought he was getting a traditional number nine. Jolington's best form for Newcastle has come either playing off Wilson or wide on the left. Now, I don't know that you can play Jolington and Wilson in a 3. So if Howe wants to play a 4-3-3, that's not gonna work. If, however, he wants to play the 4-4-2, that was more the mark of his time at Bournemouth, at least in the latter years, then it can work. Wilson in the Wilson role, Jolington in the Josh King role, St. Maximum on the left as your Ryan Fraser. Almirón on the right as your David Brooks, Harry Wilson. Well, that's pretty good. That's better than what you had. Like he still has he has Ryan Fraser again here. So he could use him on the left if he wanted, but sit maximum on the left as that creative dribbler ala Fraser. Almirón on the right. Now he needs to up his goal output. But he does have goals in his game. And I think if allowed to play as kind of the secondary playmaker off the ball a bit more, getting in good positions, arriving late into the box, I think Miguel Almiron could get seven to ten Premier League goals a season. And I think he could do very well in that right-sided role for Eddie Howe. Now, he generally played with two holding midfielders at Bournemouth. Jefferson Lerma, Philip Billing, Lewis Cook, Dan Gosling, you know, players like this. At Newcastle, he's got an okay group of midfielders. I like Isaac Hayden, and I think Isaac Hayden will be good under him. So he fits there. The role next to him, I think Sean Longstaff might be the best suited. Progressive passer, an eye for a goal. Gets forward pretty well. Can time runs pretty well. I think he's probably the best fit next to Hayden. If that's your front six, that's not bad at all. The issue is what's behind them. Now, I think he's got decent fullbacks there. I think Manquillo and Kraft are good defensive right backs. Don't ask them to do too much, though. Don't ask them to be overly attack-minded. Don't ask them to spend half their game on the overlap. Allow them to play their games. I think you'll get good results. On the left, Jamal Lewis is a very good left back. And I don't know what it is that he did to Steve Bruce that Bruce just banished him. But Jamal Lewis should be the starting left back for Newcastle very, very quickly. In the middle is the real issue. Lachelles has regressed Shar is past his best now. Fernandez is past his best. Clark was never a Premier League calibre player. Dumont isn't a Premier League calibre player. So they need to buy at centre-back in January. They definitely need to buy there. They might want to add one in midfield as well. But I think you can get by with what you currently have. Unless you're looking to bring in a guaranteed starter next to Hayden. I think he's the best of the current crop. I think your money is... And and remember as well, I didn't even put Joe Willock in this team. So Joe Willock is an option either maybe in central midfield. Maybe he'll use him as a box-to-box player next to Hayden and try and get goals out of him from there. So that could be a pairing, Hayden and Willock. Then you've got Longstaff and Shelby as the, the depth options. Shelby, unfortunately, has fallen off a bit of a cliff. Um... But if you go Hayden and Willock with Longstaff and Shelby or Hayden and Hayden and Longstaff with uh, Willock and Shelby, that's a strong four. They've got to go and buy in January. And they can play all the attacking football they want. The problem is going to be if they can't defend, it's not going to matter. You're not going to be a good attacking team if you can't defend. because you're always going to be susceptible to counters. You're never going to be able to press on and compress space and pin teams back because you're always going to worry that one simple ball will undo you at the back. And one simple ball has undone Newcastle multiple times over the past two and a half years. So while I do think there's scope for him to make them dangerous and attack, I think he needs to sort the defence in order to do it. Now, he doesn't need to have a good defence. Just an average defence will do. Newcastle's defence has been dreadful this season. An average defence, one that concedes 50 goals a season, would be okay. You could be good going forward with a defence that concedes 50 goals. Liverpool almost won the league with a defence that conceded 50 goals back in 2014. So get the defence to average or even slightly below. It just can't be a train wreck. And then it gives you the platform. For the attacking football, the hope will be in January he goes or they go and they buy at least one, but preferably two central defenders. Who they'll be, I don't know. Tarkovsky's name is doing the rounds. I wonder if West Ham will show interest in him now, with Ogbonna out for the season, well for most of the season, if not the whole season, and potentially not coming back the same player given his age. Tarkovsky could make sense for them, given. Moisey's love for a Phil Jaggy Elka type. Um, Tarkovsky could very much be that next to Zuma. Um do you think Emerson and Regulon will be the ones to watch in Conte's Spurs? And who do you think might be a surprise star? I think he's going to get really good performances out of both wing backs. Early signs already promising. They look good against Everton and Flashes. We saw what he did with Hakimi at Inter. uh That was while patchworking his left wing back situation. At Chelsea, he was using Victor Moses and Marcus Alonso. Two lads that were on the scrap heap at Chelsea before he came in the door. So he repurposed them and went and won a league title with them. He hasn't had a good pair of wing backs consistently, since he was at Juventus with Lichsteiner and uh, Asamoah. Was it Asamoah? I want to say Asamoah was the guy's name. Midfield that he brought to Inter Milan. I think it was Asamoah. Quadro Asamoah, is that him? It is. Quadro Asamoah. He was brilliant on the left. Lichsteiner was great on the right. They were tremendous together. And I think this will be the best pairing he's had since and potentially can be an even better pairing. They're both very, very good. I think Regulon going forward is outstanding. I think there's so much promise with Emerson. As for the surprise star, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I think he could turn La Celso around and turn him into one of the better players in the league. I think he's got the talent, the intelligence, the ability to manage a game in midfield. But I, they're, they're one short in midfield. They need that dynamic box-to-box ball winner. The the Vidal, the Barella, the Kante. They need that player. Uh, if he gets that... I think things are very, very promising for Spurs. Son and Kane is a front two. You're not getting many better than that in anywhere in world football. Those two wing-backs, Heusberg to So get that dynamic ball winner in. Get that player in. Get Yves Basuma in, and he elevates the team because he's the last piece in the midfield puzzle. Defensively obviously there's a lot of work to do. He's got Romero who's outstanding, needs two more to go with him. I'd be looking to replace Larice after this season. There's been rumors that they want Jordan Pickford and Sam Johnston. I think they're probably nonsense. Johnston may be on a free, but only as a backup. Um he's on a free next summer. I think you'd sign him as a as a good backup keeper. But uh you wouldn't want him as your starter if you're a, a team with real ambitions to win titles or, or cups or at least get top four. Um I mean he's he's used Ollie Skip so far, and Skip has looked looked a bit better under under Conte. He looked obviously very good at, at Norwich last year as a kind of an energetic ball winner, but I, I still think there's one player to come in. But I think the one who could be a surprise to some people is La because I think some people have written him off, including some Spurs fans. Um With Liverpool looking a bit short in midfield for various reasons, can you discuss the options of bringing in the following players whose contracts expire next summer? And do you think a deal could be done for them in January? Right, so first one is Brozovic. I like Brozovic. I don't know that he's a great fit at Liverpool. I think his best role is the number six position. Liverpool obviously have Fabinho, who's better than Brozovic. Could he play as the left side at eight? Yes, potentially. It's a bit of an awkward fit, but he's a very good player. He's very intelligent. I wouldn't be against the signing. I just think he's not the perfect fit. I'd like someone a bit more dynamic, a bit more, maybe a bit more physical. A bit more of a physical. Brozovic is not a shrinking violet, but just someone who can kind of force themselves on a game, um, which I don't think he can do. I think he can drift through games at times. Very good player, though. Uh, I don't think he'll be a deal that will be done in January. I think he might end up staying where he is. I think Inter might get that deal done. But if not, he'll certainly get a lot of offers. Uh, Frank Cassie. Kessie brings the physicality that I'd want. Could definitely play that left-sided eight role, no question. And drop in next to Fab in possession to form a two. Is he explosive enough in the Premier League, that first step? I'm not sure that's there. He's a little bit lumbering at times. Once he gets moving, he is quick, but he can lumber a little bit through the first step or two. That might be an issue. Dennis Sicari, I do like. Uh, I, again, I wouldn't be against the signing of Frank Kessie, and who knows you know what he can become under the right manager. Dennis Akari, I do like. Um, He's got the energy, the athleticism, the the physicality. He's explosive. Good ball winner. Good ball carrier. Decent passer. Clever player. Back up to Fab. And he can play that that left-sided eight role. I'd be in favour of him. And he's one I think will be available in January. Because I don't think Brucey Munch and Gladback can afford to lose him. On a free. Boubacar Kamara... I really like. I would be all over signing him in January. Back up to Fabinho. Fifth centre back. You can sell Nat Phillips. That should cover the cost of Kamara. And he can also fill in right back and left back. So I'd very much be in favour of him. Um, And I think he will be available in January. Florian Grilich. Limited on the ball. But. A smart player, knows he has limitations. Good positional sense, can play holding midfield as his natural role, but can also play centre-back. I wouldn't be against signing Grilich as a squad player, but he would only be a squad player. Froiler I like, but he might just be a little bit too old for Liverpool at this point. Um, 29, he'll be 30 in April. I don't think Liverpool will make a move for him based on his age. But he is a good player and he could definitely play that left-sided number eight role. Is he of the level? Probably not. But he'd be a good squad addition. Quarantine Talisa was a player who, who I just have so much sympathy for. Because when he was coming through at Lyon, he looked like he was going to be one of the best midfield players in the world. He could do absolutely everything. He could just take over a game. He had this—he was like a force of nature when he just decided to seize a game and strangle it. Watching him take over a game at Lyon was a little bit like watching Yaya take over a game for City. Slightly deeper position, but just that same level of of athleticism and physicality blended with talent. And nobody could live with him. You might be able to match him for physicality. You didn't have his talent. You might be able to match his talent. You wouldn't have his physicality. That's what made Yaya so great. And Taliso at at Leon was just out of this world. Absolutely out of this world. He could do everything. You know, he was really good defensively. Excellent pass to the ball. Super intelligent. And he had goals to his game. You look at his last three seasons at Leon, at Leon, 7 and 43, 7 and 45, 14 in 47. He was only 23. Moves to Bayern Munich. Great first season. Brings everything you want from him. Does everything well. And then he gets hurt. And he's never been the same since. He's never been the same player since the injury. And it's such a shame because he really was on track to become one of the best midfield players in the world. I would say at the end of 2018, uh, sorry, the 17-18 season, I would say he was probably a top eight midfield player in world football. And he was 24. He tore his cruciate, and he's never been the same. There's been flashes, there hasn't been inconsistency. I would take a gamble on him if he was cheap. But I don't think he'll ever fulfill his potential. I, I really don't. And it's such a shame. I, I would take a gamble. I would take a gamble on him as on a free. If the wages were, were sensible, I, I would take a gamble on him but a little bit like Ox the that explosiveness that physicality just isn't really there anymore now some of that is down to the fact that he hasn't played huge amounts of minutes for Bayern uh since the injury some of that is that he hasn't been allowed to play himself into form which a lot of players need but you know he's had Consistent injuries since the knee. knee. Further knee problems, calf muscle strain, ankle surgery, muscle problems, muscle injury, muscle problems, torn tendon, calf problems. You know, whereas before before that, he'd only had, he had a shin bone bruise that reoccurred and he would a muscle strain. That was it. He'd missed seven games in through injury in like the first five seasons of his career and since then it's just been kind of niggle after niggle serious injury niggle niggle serious injury niggle niggle and it's a shame because he is so so talented worth the risk on a free as long as the wages are, are okay he's worth the risk but he would be a risk and he, you'd be adding him to a, a, a stable of already injury prone midfielders so you know pick your poison um anyway question for the pod i've seen liverpool linked with isaac this week and Is- isaac this week and Vlavic in the past do you think a change of tactics is on the cards and that a genuine six-foot-plus target man is going to be central to the way we play in the post-Bobby and Mane era. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is possible. This is from Owen Hurley, by the way, I should have said. Uh, this is, it is possible. Liverpool have been linked with a number of bigger, more traditional number nines recently. And I think part of it is when you look at the evolution of the team even earlier this season, with Harvey Elliott playing that right-sided number eight role, but actually playing as a right winger when Liverpool had the ball and Sadio dropping deeper out to more of a left wing role with Mo almost playing as a second striker off Bobby or Jota. I think that's where that number nine could come in. That more more of a physical presence, someone that can hold the ball up and bring others in. Um, he mentions Darwin Nunes. I think Darwin Nunes would be a really good player. Age-wise, I think he fits the bill as someone you can develop. Price-wise, he'd be cheaper than Vlahovic, Anisak, which which uh, Owen mentions as well. And he does have that bit of gnarled about him as well. And as, as Owen says, who doesn't want a nasty two Uruguayan in the team? You know, he's got that bit of gnarled about him. He's got that needle. He does have that drive to win. He's gone about his career in a different path. He hasn't had it easy. He was at Penarol. They're one of the biggest clubs in Uruguay, obviously, them and Nacional. But he went to Almeria in the second division in Spain. Not in the top flight. Moved to the second division. Tore the league up. Went to Benfica. Turned down Brighton to go to Benfica. It, that may have been a mistake in hindsight, but a completely understandable one. It's Benfica. If they ask, you go. Um didn't have a great season last year but was good in Europe struggled a little bit with the portuguese league but this season he's been excellent eight goals already in 13 games um starting to look more and more like the player that benfica bought they paid 22 million pounds for him i think they'd take 40 if i'm being honest i think if you bid 40 million you'd get him 22 years of age big rangy Quick, good dribbler, aggressive, good in the air, can use both feet. I would certainly be in favour of, of Darwin Nunes um as a potential Liverpool signing. That is absolutely without question for me. He's a he's a really good prom uh, really good prospect. Um YNWA Foodie. Question for tomorrow. Who would you prefer to take over as manager, Gerard or Alonso? Well, right now, there's no doubt Gerard is the more accomplished manager. Um, Alonso's yet to manage a first team. So, you know, you do have to factor in that Xabi is the reserve team manager at Real Sociedad. He's done brilliantly with them. There's no doubt he's been very, very good. But I do think you need to pump the brakes a little bit now. I thought he was going to take that Borussia munching gladback job. I think he's probably holding out for a job in his homeland, but we do have to temper expectations on him. I don't think either of them are anywhere close to ready. If you ask me who would I prefer long term if 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 all comes to all I and mean, in five or seven years, they're equals as managers, they've had a similar level of success, you know. They are obviously there'll be different types of managers, but you know they have a similar ability to get the best of the teams. Personally, I would rather Alonso. Now, the reason is that as a player, I prefer Gerard. And Gerard is more connected to Liverpool. But I think it counts against them in some ways because. What if he goes to Liverpool and it goes badly? Graham Souness is the greatest midfield player Liverpool ever had. And you can include Gerrard in that. Graham Souness is the greatest midfield player Liverpool ever had. He's the greatest captain they've ever had. He's the greatest captain that English football has seen. The greatest winner that English football has seen. Graham Souness is the best midfielder Britain have ever produced. But... Liverpool fans remember his tenure as manager. More than his tenure as as a player. And I do worry that the same thing would happen to Gerrard. Especially if it was post Klopp. If Gerrard went to Liverpool in 2024 and Liverpool began to slide down the table, that would all be on Gerrard. Unfair or not. And it would spoil how people view him. There are... Liverpool fans who do not hold Kenny Leash in the regard he deserves to be held in because of his second stint as manager. The man was a player for nine years, a manager for six years, and was widely regarded as the greatest we'd ever had. The king. And yet, 18 months in charge a disastrous second half to a season some of the worst football you'll probably see ever see a Liverpool team play other than the Hodgson era and a lot of people view him based on that rather than what he did as player and manager the first time so i i just i worry that it could have a negative effect on his um on his legacy like you look at lampard Lampard is very, very fortunate that Thomas Tuchel did such an amazing job at Chelsea because people have forgotten what a dreadful job Lampard did. Chelsea were heading for the bottom half of the table and he had no idea how to turn it around. In his first season, they'd gone backwards and he was given credit because they hadn't gone backwards as far as people thought they might. That's basically what happened. You look at that first season, Lampard was in charge. They got substantially worse. The year before, they'd finished third and won the Europa League. That year, they finished fourth and lost an FA Cup final to a very, very mediocre Arsenal team. They got worse. The league got worse in general. But they managed top four and Lampard was lauded for it. Transfer ban. Nonsense. They still signed Kovacic, brought Mount, Tamore, to, to and Tammy Abraham back on off loan. Three players that Sari did not have. So there's four players, Kovacic and those two, uh, those three rather, um, and Christian Pulisic, who they'd agreed to sign in the January because they knew the transfer ban was coming and they had to get ahead of it to get their Eden Hazard replacement. So they had him coming in as well. So four new players and been able to keep Kovacic. No transfer ban at all. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Lampard did a poor job. They were dreadful in the second season. Had no tactical plan, no setup, no structure. Go out and run around, lads. Go out and express yourselves. That's what he was telling them. Go out and express yourselves. Your talent is bigger than their talent. So he hadn't a breeze what he was meant to be doing. And he's just very, very lucky that Thomas Tuchel came in, turned things around, and won a Champions League. But that shouldn't excuse Lampard's disastrous job. It should highlight how bad a job he did. Because his squad. Turned out to be a Champions League winning calibre squad. The squad he was given. The squad he then added 200 million worth of talent to. And was not just sailing for the bottom half. Flat out for the bottom half of the league. That's how bad of a job he was doing. Tuchel doing what he did should actually highlight how poor Frank did. And instead, people use it as an excuse to ignore how poor of a job he did. But Gerrard likely won't have that because Liverpool won't sack Gerard as quickly as Chelsea sacked Lampard. Liverpool aren't like that. They don't operate the same way. Liverpool will be more likely to give Gerard two or three bad seasons than to sack him after 18 months. So it would just have, uh, you know, an, an eroding effect on his legacy. So I don't ever want Gerrard at Liverpool, personally. It could be great. But the likelihood is it's not. Even if it's just good, that won't be good enough. If he gets them 5th or 6th or even 4th every so often, that's not good enough. So, yeah, I'd rather Alonso because it wouldn't bother me as much if he ended up getting sacked because he failed at Liverpool. Because he he is, he is was a great player in two of his five years at Liverpool. He had one good year and two bad years. But he is overrated by Liverpool fans based on his tenure at Liverpool. He was better for Real and Barca than he was for Liverpool. He was still very young at Liverpool, it must be said. But he was inconsistent season to season at Liverpool. Great first season, great last season. Decent second season, bad third season, pretty bad fourth season as well. Or was it the other one? Was it the second and third? He had two bad seasons, one good season, and two two really good seasons. Like I can't remember which way it was. Um, but his first and last were 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 great. Um, anyway, moving on. The line Star. What are the main attributes to separate somebody who's incredible at underage level and someone who can translate their talent to the Premier League level? There's two things, two major things here. You need great coaching. You can have all the talent in the world. If you're badly coached, you're not going to translate that incredible talent to the Premier League. It might get you to the Premier League. You might get to the Premier League, but if you're still badly coached and badly managed, you're not going to, you're not going to excel. But you also have to have the willingness to put in the work. It's as simple as that. Hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. It's one of the wisest sayings there's ever been. Hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. Now, if talent does work hard, it will wipe the floor with fellas who are just hard workers. So you look at a Thiago Alcantara, who's noted for his work ethic, but also one of the most technically gifted players in the game. You compare him to a James Milner. Not technically gifted, but very hard worker. Max out, maxed out his ability. Thiago's levels and levels above what Milner ever was. Because he works every bit as hard. But you'll find players like a Paul Pogba. Now, Paul Pogba had seasons of being a better player, obviously, than Milner. When he was at Juventus, he was a much better player than Milner. But... Milner might be the wrong example here. Henderson. Let's take Henderson, for example. There's no doubt Paul Pogba... Actually, it works better because age-wise, they're about the same. Thiago and Henderson are about the same age. Henderson's noted for his work rate and and his leadership, which is a myth. And Thiago is one of the most technically gifted players ever. Thiago's levels above Henderson as a player. Levels and levels above. And has accomplished far more in the game than Henderson could dream of. Henderson was carried to success by great teammates. Thiago was one of the best players in teams that won seven, eight, nine league titles, however long he was at Dortmund, or at, at Bayern, rather. One of the best players in a Champions League winning team. Henderson was the 10th or 11th best player in his Champions League winning team. Um, you look at Henderson and Pogba, but well, Pogba is much more talented than Henderson. And when he worked hard at Juventus, that's a level Henderson has never even dreamed of. But you can absolutely make the case that over the last couple of seasons, not this season because Henderson's been awful, but the last two seasons before this, well, you can absolutely make the case that Henderson was better than Pogba in at least, say, two of the previous three seasons. Two of the previous three seasons to this one, Henderson was better than Pogba. Maybe three of the four. And Henderson's not a great player by any stretch, but he works hard. Pogba doesn't. And it's not because he's lazy, because he's not a lazy player. He wouldn't have excelled under Antonio Conte and under Max Allegri if he was a lazy player. So I'm not saying Paul Pogba is a lazy player. I'm saying that Paul Pogba has, has been allowed to coast at Manchester United. He hasn't had to put in the work. If he was made put in the work, he's still capable of doing it, or you'd, you'd, you'd assume he still is, because we know he's done it before. But the knock on him when he was at United in the academy was he used to coast too often because his talent overrode everything else. It's one of the reasons Ferguson never put him into the first team brought back a 63-year-old Paul Scholes and put him into the team. You take Pogba at Juventus, he used to work like a beast. He was always on the training ground. He added muscle to his frame, he was in the gym non-stop. He did everything right at Juventus. He went to United and again, his talent just led him to coast. So there are the two things. Great coaching, and work right. You've got to have the talent. Let's be clear the talent is the most important thing. Because if you don't have the talent, you're not going to make it. You can grit and grind your way probably to championship level. You've got to have a modicum of talent to play in the Premier League. So when I you know when I say Henderson and, and Milner don't have the talent, they do have talent. I'm talking, you know, comparable to Thiago and Tony Cruz and the great midfield players. But they have talents. But they've they've maximised their talents. Every last shred of what they have has been used up to get them where they are, which is to be the tenth or eleventh best player on the pitch for Liverpool at any one time. That's the that's the peak of their ability. Paul Pogba would have the ability to be the best player in this Liverpool team. Talent-wise. I've always said Paul Pogba is a world-class talent. But he's not a world-class player. Because he doesn't put in the work. If he did, he'd be incredible. Absolutely incredible. AMK2889. Three players who became managers that surprised you with how good they did or are doing. Three who you thought would be successful and weren't. And three current players... Who could make successful managers. Um, Successful managers from current players. Thiago Alcantara without question. I think he would be. I think he'd be a very high caliber manager. I always look at defenders as well. In particular intelligent defenders. I think you could take either. Benucci or Cialini. And I think either of them could be a great manager because they have intelligence, reading of the game, understanding of the game, and also leadership. If you look at both of them play, Diego I would put into that category as well. IQ and leadership, I think are two of the most important aspects of management. You look at Jurgen Klopp. right? He was never a great player. He's a high IQ player. He's a leader. You look at how that's translated. Jurgen Klopp's IQ allows him to to know what it is that he doesn't know. That's the sign of a great manager. To know what you don't know. To recognize your own weaknesses and delegate. Ferguson did the same. Bill Shankly did the same. You get people around you whose strengths are your weaknesses. And you also get people around you who are strong enough to stand up to you. Ferguson did it. Klopp does it. Conte does it. Simeone does it. Great managers have those people around them. So I'll say Thiago, and I'll give you those three centre-backs. Um... Three you thought would be successful and weren't. Um, Frank De Boer had some success at Ajax, but it's obviously been largely a train wreck ever since. I would say him. I thought Seydorf would be a better manager. And... Bernd Schuster, maybe. He's a good manager, not a great one. Uh, Three who, I was surprised, became managers. Uh, Zidane, for a start. Zidane. Always had the intelligence and all that. I just didn't think he'd be bothered. And when he got the job, I wasn't sure how well he'd do. The man won three Champions Leagues in a row, so he did incredibly well. Um, Joey Barton. I actually think, Joey, I I haven't paid much attention to how Bristol Rovers are doing, but he did a pretty good job at Fleetwood. Not, Not great, but pretty good. And... Ollie did a tremendous job. Surely you've got to give him five more years. He's... Single-handedly tearing that club down, piece by piece by piece. A recent article in the Manchester Evening News, to so probably tripe, that uh, senior figures at Old Trafford have accepted that the change is needed, but Oli may stay out the season. It's a nonsense piece. Speculation at best. Absolutely not sourced, regardless of claims, uh, to say that you know they decided to make a change, but sure they might as well keep until the end of the season. It's just... Garbage. That's not what top clubs do. If United had decided to make a change, he'd be out the door. And they just put Michael Carrick in charge until they got someone else in. Um, Fact 1977. Which Premier League team is most primed to surpass expectations before the holiday games and which team is more likely to regress to the mean or fall in their standing? West Ham are the one most likely to fall a little bit. I don't think there'll be a, like a collapse or anything, but I don't think they'll sustain top four. I hope I'm wrong. I do hope I'm wrong. Um, In terms of surpassing expectations, I, I think Crystal Palace, to be fair, have got to be considered. Now, you could put West Ham into this either because it could go either way with them. They could either continue this and still be fourth come Christmas. But I think Crystal Palace, when you look at their run of games, they've got Burnley away, Villa at home, Leeds away. There are three teams that are poor this season. Manchester United out of sorts. Everton out of sorts. Southampton at home. Watford, a poor team, away. Tottenham on Boxing Day. Then Norwich. That is not a bad run at all up until the end of this calendar year. You can throw in West Ham on New Year's Day. That's not a bad run. That's a 10-game stretch in which there's probably four or five winnable games in there for them. And a couple of games they can take draws from. This was a team expected to battle for survival. This season, I think they're already outperforming expectations, and I think they're one who could well be a solid top-half team by the turn of the year. Now, if you look at West Ham, who I think might be the one that just risk a little bit of a drop-off. Away to Wolves is tough. Wolves are in good form. Away to Man City, also very tough. Brighton at home what will not be an easy game. Burnley, sorry, uh, no West Ham. Sorry, it's West Ham, Chelsea. Then obviously that'll be tough. Burnley away, they should win that one. Uh, Arsenal, who are in good form, and if they continue this, you never know. Then they get Norwich, then they get Southampton, then they get Watford. So they do have a, a kind of a four of the last five games in in this little run of nine that has been over, pretty good. And then it's Palace on on. Uh, on on New Year's Day like I said but there's there's a couple of defeats in there for them I think I think there's two if not three defeats in the first four games of, of their league run after this international break and that might just cause them to dip a little bit before I think rebounding in the second half of it but yeah so I'll go with with West Ham to drop off a little bit not massively and Palace to outperform um, the expectations. And I think then the last question I have is from Stephen Smith, which is comprised the best starting 11 with seven subs from these England squads. So, he's gone World Cup 90, Euro 96, World Cup 2002, Euro 2008, World Cup 2014, and the Euro's just passed. I have to pick three players from each squad to be included in my 18. Now, I assume I get each of these players at their apex, at their very best, regardless of whether at the time of this, of me choosing them from their respective squad, they're at their best. I I'm going to just work on the idea that I get them at the best they've ever been. Um so that's fine. So let's let's go from there. Alright, uh Euro two thousand and eight. England weren't at Euro two thousand and eight, so I assume I assume he meant he meant Euro two thousand and four, no? I'm going to assume he meant Euro two thousand and four. I'm going to go with the England Euro 2004 squad uh, and work with that assumption. Right. So let's go. So 1990. I'm going to take John Burns. I'm going to take Brian Robson, because I get him at his prime under my own rules. So, Brian Robson. And I am going to take... Young Gaza. So, I'm going in early on my midfield here. But I'm happy with that. So, that's fine. I'll take that. Um... 1996, I'm going to take Tony Adams, I'm going to take Saul Campbell, and I'm going to take David Seaman. 2002, I'll take Ashley Cole. Hmm, Ashley Cole. I'll take Skulls. I'll take Owen. 2004, I'm going to take Stephen Gerrard. I'll take Ledley King. And I'll take Rooney. 2014. Let's see, I'll take Sterling, I'll take Lampard. And I will take, oh, there's nobody great at all, at all, at all, at all. Um God, this was a poor squad. Because it was Hodgson, so you shouldn't expect much more. I'll take Sturridge just for the... No, I won't. I won't take Sturridge. I won't take Sturridge. That's... I might have to take Sturridge, to be honest. Do you know what? I'll take Joe Hart. I'll take Joe Hart as my backup keeper. Uh, I'm the Euro 2020. So... I'll take Harry Kane, I've got to take Kyle Walker and I will take... Do you know what? I won't take Kyle Walker. Will I? I will. I'll take Kyle, Kyle Walker. And I will take... Phil Foden. Just to think he's really special. Right, so what I have is a starting 11 of David Seaman in goal. A back four of Kyle Walker... Tony Adams, Saul Campbell and Ashley Cole a midfield four of Gerrard on the right Barnes on the left Robson and Gaza in central midfield and then I'll take Rooney and Kane up front and I've got a bench of Joe Hart, Ledley King Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard, Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling, and Michael Owen. The only part of that I don't love is Kyle Walker at right back. That's the only part of it that I don't love. Now, if I had been given, as an example, the 2018 squad instead of the 2020 squad. I would still have taken Kane instead of Foden. I would have taken maybe Delhi Ali. I could have taken Walker actually as you know I would have taken Walker as my backup fullback and left out Foden, and I'd have Trent at right back. If I would had the two thousand and eighteen squad, but I didn't, so I've got Walker at right back, and I'm still happy with the team. I mean that midfield I think is is undeniable. Um, Kane and Rooney, I mean you're not really going to do much better than that. And I think they would have been really good together. Um, Cole, Campbell and Adams, I mean you can't can't do better, and Seaman was incredible at his best. So uh Walker's the only player in that starting eleven I'm not mad about. But then Joe Hart at his best was a very good keeper. Ledley King, if not for injuries, Rio Ferdinand and John Terry are in his shadow. Uh Skulls and Lampard, obviously, Sterling and Owen, and then Foden as the best of the youngsters. I'm happy with that. Uh, I'll wrap up with the gossip and we're done for today. Real Madrid believe that Erling Haaland will move to the Premier League and apparently that is a boost to Manchester City and Chelsea. I'm not sure how that logic works, but that is the case. Real pl- plan to compete with Chelsea, Man City and PSG by adding Haaland... And killing Mbappe to an attack that already features Vinicius Jr. That could be a terrifying front three. If they've got Vinicius on the left, Mbappe on the right, or vice versa, and Haaland through the middle, that is terrifying. In midfield, they're going to have Valverde, Casemiro, and then whoever it is they bring in to replace him long-term, maybe Chumeni, and Camavinga, which is frightening. Um they need to work on the defense, but you know, they've got Fernand Mendy, who's who's really good. Um, they've got Edward Militao, who's who's really good. They could do it a right back and a centre back, they've got a great keeper. But they if they could land those two strikers, it it will be game over for a lot of teams. They'll be two players away from having an incredible eleven. Newcastle United are planning to sign Stefan deVries Marcelo Brozovic and Thomas Strakosha. Are they, really? I can't imagine Stefan de Vries wants to go to Newcastle in January. I really don't imagine he does. And I don't think they will go for someone like him in January when they could well go down anyway and end up stuck with either having to get let him go for little or nothing or having to pay him 200 grand a week in the championship. Uh, Paul Pogba's agent has hinted he will leave Manchester United in January. He's been hinting at that for years. Manchester United are set to challenge Barcelona for the signing of Danny Almo. Yes, what United need is definitely another winger because the last one they signed is thriving at the club. Uh, Chelsea are interested in Wesley Fofana and are a little ahead of Manchester United. Nonsense. Um, Barcelona are lining up a move for Hakim Zayic. Unless it's a lone move, it's not happening. Antonio Rudiger has been angered by Chelsea's latest contract offer, which is short of his wage demands by 60 grand. If it's true that he's asking for 400 grand a week and they've offered 340, someone needs to be sacked for offering him the 340. If it's 240, it's too much. Anything over 150,000 a week is far too much for Antonio Rudiger. Uh, Arsenal are only willing to offer Alex Lacazette a short term deal. It's just stupid. Villarreal are planning to resist all offers for Arnett Danjuma. In, Liber- in January, Liverpool are meant to be keeping tabs. I'm sure football insiders well caught up in what Villarreal are doing. I'm sure he's got the inside track. Uh, Manchester United have started their succession planning to replace Oligon Ony- or Solskjaer with Brendan Rodgers, their prefer- per- uh, preferred candidate. Apparently, it's him, Eric Ten Hag, and somebody else. I think they probably end up with Brendan. Um... Zinedine Zidane has responded to an approach from United saying he will be available by the end of the season. Has he? Has he? Would Build really be the the go-to place for news about a Spanish-based French manager going to an English club? I'm not sure. I'm not sure Build would be the best place to go to for such news. New Barcelona coach Xavi wants to keep Ousmane Dembele but has told the 24-year-old is now or never to establish himself. It's another Pogba situation. You paid huge money. You've paid him a huge contract. He hasn't earned a new contract, but you can't really afford to let him go for free. Barca can't anyway, because they're in such a dreadful, dreadful situation. Barca president, Joan Laporte, will not rule out the possibility of Lionel Messi and Andreas Iniesta Following their teammate and returning to the club. So, um, they're putting together an over 35s team at Barca, is, is what I'm hearing. Um, Busquets will soon qualify. Pique is on his way. Javi can play straight away. Alves could play straight away. Messi will be 35 at next birthday. They're putting together an over 35s team. They're getting the band back together. Uh, Frank Lampard was interviewed for the Aston Villa job. I doubt he was. I really doubt he was. Um, England under-18 captain Sammy Braybrook will sign a professional deal with Leicester despite interest from Germany in the 17-year-old midfielder. Fair play to him, and fair play to Leicester for being able to keep... keep I think it was Dortmund were after him. If I'm not mistaken, it was Dortmund who were uh, going very strong after him as they looked to follow up on the success of getting Jude Bellingham. He's tiny, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's only like 5'4", or something. Uh, But a very, very good player, by all accounts. Yeah, best of luck to him. Hope it all goes well. Um, Germany called goalkeeper Manuel Nauer wants to start talks about extending his contract with Bayern and he wants a deal until 2025 he's 35 maybe 39 then don't do that Uh, Gareth Bale faces being sidelined for three weeks with a calf injury after joining up at Wales during the international break sure he won't play again until he goes off at Wales again so who cares Uh, that's me for today folks that's the show thank you as always for listening I will see you tomorrow take care of yourselves good luck and goodbye Network.